welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, I sat down with Shay Tompkins of Big Nine Outfitters. We get into stone sheep, red stag, guiding hunts in New Zealand, British Columbia, and talk a little KVC. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Shay Tompkins. Shay, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, welcome. Oh, thanks. I appreciate you allowing me on the show. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about this one as I was. Uh, doing my scrolling and trolling. Um, I actually started to get a little bit worried because you're uh, laying it down and uh, yeah, you're doing, <laughs> you're doing more than most guys can dream of in a lifetime. So I'm super excited to hear about the, uh, the guide life and your hunting life. So, well, I greatly appreciate your time. So let's jump into it. Why don't you give us a little bit of an intro and some background on yourself? Well, my dad's been an outfitter for 35 some years and he, uh, we're the last original family of outfitters in BC. And fortunately we did just sell this year. So this was my last season up in big nine outfitters for in BC. I'll be heading to the Northwest territories this year. And aside from that, we're farming and we got 2,500 acres that we farm here. We're grain farmers. And then in the winters, I pretty well spend my time trapping and cougar hunting. And then I travel to New Zealand and do some hunting and a little bit of guiding over there. So I don't even want to ask how your seasons go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm looking at everything and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm feeling so inferior here. Uh, I mean, that it's just, it's gotta be, it's gotta be epic, right. To, to experience. I mean, you're, you're talking bucket list stuff and you're living it every single day. And I, I'm sure there's a, there's a trade-off, right. And, and I don't know, but being a guide, um, you know, I kind of think I, I saw something in it and it, it was like quoted, you know, oh, you want to be a guide and, and people don't think about it. It looks like this dream life, right? You're always out and you're always, you know, in the woods and you're chasing animals and you're getting people on animals. But that has to be I mean, there's some long days. You're up before your clients. Um, oh, yeah. You're doing everything, you know, you can to give them that experience. Um, and then you're, you know, you're going down after your clients, making sure that you're wrapping up and you're prepared for the next day. So why don't we just get into, you know, being a guide and and what Big Nine is doing and where you're guiding and, and what animals you're chasing a bit? Well, being a guide, our days usually start about 3.30 or 4 a.m. and we all head out and go get horses in and we saddle up and we spend our day out and then we're usually back well at dark and not to bed till 10 o'clock and most days are pretty exhausting and this season it was 118 days straight for me and that's all um airplane and horseback access there's no roads into our area um we're all for our outfit we're chasing uh elk and moose mainly stone sheep uh wolf used to be grizzly until they close that down black bear and mountain goat a lot of a lot of different animals to go after so it keeps things interesting and lots of different clients and huge crew so everything's it's it's always a blast it's it's a ton of fun but it definitely gets <laughs> it definitely uh, interferes with hunting for ourselves and doing our own thing so how did that grizzly ban affect you guys 
Well, actually, it wasn't huge on us. They, um, we only got one tag every five years. That was our quota, which was a bit ridiculous. I've had days out where I was in one camp a couple of years ago, and I seen 14 different grizzlies in two days. And we're constantly having bear problems. They're in our camps. They're wrecking stuff. They're stealing meat. They're <laughs> they're pain in the butt, really. It'd be nice to actually be able to help keep their numbers down, but it is what it is. And hopefully they open it back up in the near future. So was that something when that was when that was coming down the pike that you guys were were trying to fight or had some input in, or was that just political and it was a done deal because that's a lot of what we see down here i'm in california um (laughs) and and we really feel like i feel like that that we don't have a say right it's it's a hot topic and somebody's warm and fuzzy and we're probably going to lose it i mean there's not much you know as hunters here that we're you know we try to do what we can but it just doesn't seem like it goes anywhere yeah and that's exactly what it was it was was an emotion-based decision from everyone down south where the big numbers are. So unfortunately it affected all of us up north and they got their own thoughts and what they think are facts. And well, they aren't quite true, but we'll see what happens in the next few years here. Yeah. Hopefully that uh, population doesn't increase and then, you know, take a, take it a negative foothold on, on what you guys are doing there. So, <laughs> um, so you blaze through the guide thing. I think there's so much more to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, always. So the one thing that, that I've been looking at and I don't, I'm not sure. Well, I, I kind of know why, but caribou, right? I have this thing, um, lately with, with caribou. Oh, it's not the only thing, but caribou has definitely been ringing that bell for me. Um, how are you guys? I didn't see many caribou as I was scrolling through that. Is that something you're chasing often or? Um, no, the old boys used to back in the day, but the numbers are so low that, we completely stopped hunting them about oh, 15 years ago. So I've never had the chance to yet. Oh, wow. Wow. And just wow, wolves and seismic lines, everything. It's mm-hmm. just access to the herds and they just start dying off. There's, there's a few small herds, but there's not enough that uh, would be a sustainable herd that we could actually hunt. Mm-hmm. And so we just leave them alone and try and help them out as best we can. Wow. You mean stone cold killers, hunters aren't going out there and just decimating the herd <laughs> even more, right? <laughs> No, (laughs) I mean, that's, we avoid that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's my point is, is, you know, those numbers are low, you have a business, but you're still making a decision to let that herd grow and sustain and that population, you know, get to back, you know, to where it needs to be, or if, you know, it can be, um, it's so opposite of what they think that we do when we go out. It's just, uh, Oh, I know. And with all the species, we limit our, we started limiting our hunters and how many hunts we do a year due to the uh, decline in populations with moose in particular, well, and caribou. And it's starting to affect the elk quite a bit. Like my dad, he figures it's the elk herds are down 70% from the time he started guiding. Wow. 30 years. Like everything way down. Right. I wouldn't, I mean, does he have anything that he contributes to that or? Uh, We do a lot of wolf control got we go do like trapping and then every single one of our hunters we give wolf tags too so if you see a wolf and they shoot it and it's free kind of thing and we'll go out and just like if we have days off as resident hunters and we'll go out and just go and try and kill a wolf or try and get our friends on wolves who are also resident hunters and just try to do it that way and do what we can 
So those predator numbers, I mean, outside of the grizzly, the wolves numbers are up and that's affected. Oh gosh. Are they ever? (laughs) Wow. It's, it's a bit ridiculous. How many wolves are there everywhere you go? There's wolf tracks, packed down wolf trails everywhere. They're even way up high hunting the sheep now. Oh, no way. Yeah. We've seen them right on top of the mountains the last couple of years and right there with the ewes and the lambs and it's not very good. No, not at all. And there's no, you guys have a number or there's a quota that you try and get, or is that something that they're trying to regulate too? Or No, they're not regulating it. It's just one wolf per hunter. And then uh, we just try and get as many as we can, but it's, so it, they're an oppor- opportunity animal. If you see them, then you try and get one, but a lot of hunts, you won't even see them. You'll hear them or just see tracks and see kills and whatnot. So, um, one of the things that stands out, right? Like I said, and I'm, I'm sorry if I keep going back to it, <laughs> but I'm looking at everything and I'm going, she's just knocking stuff down. Right. And, and you're guiding, you know, you're guiding grown freaking men, <laughs> you know, and there's this perspective, right? Oh, you know, I, I can't imagine a guy walking into camp and going, huh, <laughs> I'm going with her. So yeah, I get some funny looks when they find out I'm not the cook. Yeah. <laughs> Do they realize what they're getting into? <laughs> um, it seems to be getting a, to be a bigger thing in the outfitting guiding industry. Um, so a lot of guys, they will expect to see female guides. And once they spend a day with any of us, they're all happy as can be. And they realize we're, we can do our job and you end up getting quite a few compliments and uh, it works out really well. It, you be, you build a friendship with these guys and they end up trusting you and it's, yeah, it's just like you're hunting with a buddy. Are you seeing more women on the guided hunts or? Um, I actually have never guided a female hunter and I rarely see female hunters come through, but I do know a lot of female guides. I'm friends with a lot of female guides and outfitters. Why do you think that is not seeing the women hunters? I don't know what it is. Honestly, you do see them the odd time, but it's typically the men that are out there. Right. Cause I mean, that's right now you hear a lot of, right. The largest or the fastest growing demographic in hunting is women hunters. Um, mm-hmm. So that I, Maybe it's a, maybe it's a cost thing, um, or a bucket list thing for, you know, for us, uh, macho men that have to go do it. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. A lot of them hunts are pretty expensive up North here. (laughs) What is, so the stone sheep, right? That's is, what's your specialty or do you Um, have one? All of them. Oh no, I guess elk and stone sheep. So a stone sheep hunt, what is that, uh. What is that? They run for 40,000. How much? 40,000. That's what I thought you said. (laughs) And that's cheap compared to a few other outfitters. Wow. (laughs) So for how many days on the mountain? Uh, We do 14 day hunts. Oh, okay. Two days of travel. So then 12 days out. And most of the time you don't need those days, but. Yeah. You guys have a really high success rate as well, right? It's like upwards of 90%. Yeah. Yeah. We have our areas incredible. We're very, very fortunate with what we got, uh, fairly hard access and the guys that do access it, they're, they're, uh, spending a lot of money on planes to get in there or they're hiking a lot of miles 
And so good for them. If they're going to put in the effort, like good on them. And you're flying them in too, right? So you're piloting and everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got a charter out of Fort Nelson that flies them in. And then dad, he does a bunch of flying within the outfit. And then from base camp, we trail them out to our other camps, which are anywhere between four and eight hour rides away from base where we pack all the gear and food for the hunt and crew and hunters. And <laughs> it's a, it's a big job. <laughs> and you, how many camps do you guys have something like nine camps or? Yeah. So, somewhere around there we got, Oh, what is there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven cabin camps, three of which are big, nice lodges. And then, Oh gosh, a pile of, wall tent camps and then a whole bunch of little spike camps and stuff but all very comfortable with what we provide and always got cooks and wranglers and that's pretty nice up there so you you pretty much just grew up in this in the life right i mean it was you know something that yep. i mean you're talking 30 years you're in your 20s i think yeah i'm 23 20 th- <laughs> just smacked me in my face even more. Well, I've been up there every summer of my life and then um, started actually wrangling when I was 12. And then I started going along on hunts when I was 16. And then at 18, once I was legal, I started doing full seasons guiding because then I finished school early and ended up guiding. I tell you what, I'm not paying $40,000 to come get my ass kicked by a 23-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. It'd be fun. <laughs> We'd have a good time. <laughs> so you do a lot of uh, a lot of New Zealand as well, right? I mean, you're you're guiding in New Zealand a bit and, and hunting it as well? Yeah, I've been over there four times now. And just this last season, I got to do a bit of guiding. And then the other times were pretty well all hunting for myself and myself and my sister and going along with an outfitter that is well the outfitter and his family they're my New Zealand family (laughs) hunted with them five years ago and since then it's just like yeah we're all so close my family and their family and it's been great going back and forth so I got to start guiding for the range shred stag and a little bit of tar and chamois and that's been good how do you balance that right how do you go I mean it has to to a point and tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you're working, right? You're, you're doing it for work and then you're going out and you're chasing animals yourself. Do you find, you know, most people with, you know, their, their daily grind, they don't want anything to do with it after, you know, after they get off, how do you find that balance or is it just, you know, the draw of being outdoors and you're just doing what you love and it doesn't feel like work? It's, it's just, it isn't work. It's exactly what I want to be doing. Uh, I couldn't imagine, well, I've worked a, worked a job, but I couldn't imagine going back. I'm happy doing what I'm doing back and forth and keeping busy and long seasons. And it's always something going on. It's, and it's always different. Never get tired of it. You get a little bit exhausted, but you take a week off between seasons or a couple months off between seasons, I guess, and good to go again. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's the physical part of it, right? And not the mental from what you're saying. Yeah. Cause that's some serious boot miles. I mean, I was looking at some of that country that you guys are in, especially on that, uh, the stone sheep and it's, uh, a lot of shale and it's, I mean, it's no joke. Yeah. I've seen a lot of guys break down on some of that <laughs> rough country. Yeah. <laughs> uh, after, after the first hard climb, you're good for the season. <laughs> yeah. 
it uh is what do you notice like you know for you you got a guy and he's and he's hoorah right he's ready to go in and and you know he's gonna get it done and he shows up on the mountain and there has to be and i'm not i know it's probably kind of thin ice right you can't say certain things but is there a lack of preparedness when it comes to somebody thinking that they're out there and they're going to get it done versus Um, reality well not really like with with our outfit in bc uh we were a horseback outfit so mind you you still have to climb for the sheep and you still got to do some hiking for elk and everything else but um if guys are really physically incapable, then we do what we can and get them an animal as easy as possible. Like I, I guided a 73 year old man to a stone sheep this year and he did great. And he only had to climb 300 yards. It was, it was lucky. It was, everything worked out perfectly. Thank goodness. And some guys, they, they start getting exhausted, but you just let them have a break and then give them a bit of a pep talk and then you're off again. And, so it's not yeah, like they going realize. Out. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the difference, right? It's not like going out with a group of fellows um, on a public land hunt, you know, and everybody's kind of off on their own. I guess I didn't look at it that yeah. way. Yeah. You can usually push them a bit and then they realize that they're actually capable of doing more than what they originally thought. You, you spend a lot of time having to motivate? Um, Not too bad. I don't think guys, <laughs> personally, I don't think a whole lot of guys want to tell me that they're tired or <laughs> show that they're tired. I just do a bit of a bit of <laughs> courtesy glassing, as I call it, and let them catch up, catch their breath, and then we're off again. <laughs> oh, so you don't even, yeah. Well, I guess, I guess as a <laughs> as a guide, as a service, right? You can't really call them on it. <laughs> no, I, I've been pretty lucky. I've had all really, really good hunters though. You, and you would hope, right, that that a guy that's investing, you know, two weeks and and that kind of money is going to take it as serious as yeah. you're taking it. I mean, that's. Oh, yeah. They're prepared to push themselves. And then weapons preparedness, everybody's pretty solid. There's nothing. Oh, yeah. Not everyone's got everything down. Everyone spends weeks studying and talking to their buddies. And you get a lot of guys that have hunted sheep before and they know exactly what to expect and everyone's always just super excited and lots of ambition and just happy to be out. Yeah. I can't imagine a stone sheep hunt would be uh, phenomenal. You guys are doing archery as well, right? You do rifle and archery. Yeah, we do some archery hunts. We leave those till the end of the season. Stone sheep on archery would be stellar. (laughs) (laughs) And then you guys have some, some record book Rams too, right? I mean, there's not just the Rams. There's, there's quite a few, yeah, we got really good genetics in our area. Just south of us is where the world record was shot in our neighboring area. And then in our area, we got, um, he's number six, Boone and Crockett, and he's the biggest ram that's been shot in, oh, I guess it's probably 53, 54 years now. And then we got number 12, um, Boone and Crockett, and he had the heaviest bases ever recorded on a stone sheep. Yeah, and they were then, 32 plus, weren't they? Something like They're that. 36 and three eighths, I believe. Or sorry, not 30, 16 and three eighths. Jeepers. <laughs> you got my numbers all buggered up. And then uh, we got number one, Pope and Young. On the stone? Yeah. Wow. 
So mm-hmm. give us a, a female perspective um, on hunting in the outdoors and, and where you find the value in it. Hmm. That's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Just, it, I guess it's sort of a, a man's world and it's, I don't know when, when I'm out there and doing what I know how to do, I, it doesn't even occur to me that there's a difference between the two genders and we're just, just as capable and it's <laughs> a stuffed answer. <laughs> well, I mean, so, and it's important, right? Like you said, it's, you know, air quotes, a man's world, but the mountain doesn't care, right? The mountain doesn't care. No. The animal doesn't care. It's all about preparedness, the time you put in and, and how far you're willing to push yourself. Um, at least that's how I see it, right? So mm-hmm. when I'm going through and I'm looking at Shay Tompkins, right, I'm going, damn, <laughs> damn. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, it's just crazy <laughs> that there is a, I don't want to say a bias, but there's almost a bias, right? Like, you know, like, like we said first, you know, when we first started talking, you know, a guy gets off the plane, he hops out and Hey, I'm sure your guide, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's definitely not common, but. So does that, does that add to drive or motivation for you to just go get it done more? Or you just don't even think about it. It's just, I'm out here doing what I love and that's it. And there's yeah, no thought into it. I don't think about it. I just think about what I'm doing and our object objective and where I got to be and where I got to go and where I got to get the hunter to. And it's, it doesn't really cross my mind a whole lot. Well, I'd say that that's a pretty GD good thing. So do you find, is there, is there a level of satisfaction that you find in getting people to that success or that, I don't want to say success, but that punch tag, I have to imagine. I mean, for me, that would be a, you know, definitely a bucket list thing. That's not something that, you know, I could just go do every couple, three years. Oh, definitely. It's, it's unbelievable. The feeling I get like when you're getting a guy set up on an animal and you're just waiting for that one moment for him to either turn the right way or stand up and he takes that shot and you can watch the bullet hit the animal. And when you know it hits good, it's my heart races harder when I'm in that situation compared to when I'm hunting for myself. It's, and the excitement and once the animal's down, it's all high fives and hugs and it's, it's incredible. I, I, that feeling I wouldn't trade for the world. And I hear that, like I've talked to a couple guides and, and that's one of the things they all say is that, that, that satisfaction that's there for, you know, for getting people on their animal. And then I've talked to just hunters that are, are finding more satisfaction in getting other people out in the woods and chasing animals. And, you know, it's, it's just so great being a part of, uh, the success to someone's lifelong dream and to, watch the emotion go through that person and the odd time you see tears and it's, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. Really. It's <laughs> you're smiling ear to ear right now thinking about it. 
I am. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I can't imagine, right? I mean, I can, but I can't. But I hear it. I've heard it, you know, several times that guys are like, yeah, I'd rather guide than, than actually pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Which I, yeah, I can't fathom. I mean, I guess I can, but yeah, that's a hard one. That That's saying a whole heck of a lot, right? Especially on something like that, you know, a, a bucket list hunt. Yeah. And just sharing that experience with them, uh, it has to be amazing. Oh, it is. So how often are guys are um, coming back? To, is this something that, you know, it's, you see guys on a hunt like that, you know, once and then you never see them again? Or are there folks that are returning <laughs> every year or every two years or something? Um, there's a lot of guys that spend a big part of their life saving up for a hunt like that. But then you do get, um, we do get a few guys that come back a couple of times and they come back to back years and it's, it's nice having the return hunters and seeing them and finding out what they've done throughout their year and what other hunts they've been on and stuff and being able to guide them a second time or third time. And a lot with the uh, elk and moose hunters, we get a lot of return hunters that way. And what are the, what are the, uh, elk hunts like? Is that rut hunts? Is that? Yeah, it's typically, well, we do meat hunts end of August and then we, um, rut hunts all of September. It's pretty cool because, uh, our elk, they barely have any human contact. So they're very, very responsive. Like you'll let out one bugle and you'll have six bugling around you and you just kind of pick and choose wherever the wind's coming from and kind of pick your place and start heading after one specific one. And all of a sudden then there's three more and you can get right in the middle of a bunch of them. And it's a lot of fun. It's action packed days, elk hunting. Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, at least to me, there's nothing like an elk bugle. I don't know what it is with that animal that just uh, has me obsessed. Yeah. It's pretty crazy how responsive they are. Red stag versus elk. Help me out there. Cause I don't know anything about red stag outside of seeing pictures and hearing the different vocalizations. Is there any similarities when, uh, when you're hunting them or approaching them? Well, I, I'm just learning more and more about red stag as the, as it goes on, but, uh, they do have a lot of similarities. Um, you can call them in in the thick bush and same thing. And, uh, some guys say they respond to cow calls and then others, they don't, they say they don't even use cow calls. It's typically all roaring with the red stag. Um, I'd be interested to try cow calling with them and see what happens. But they're they're pretty well, like their behaviors are quite similar to elk. So it seems like hunting at home when hunting them, which is pretty nice. Same type of terrain and, and conditions. Yeah, yeah. You shot a... I think that was your that your bull a sixteen point or something like that. Yeah that <laughs> that thing's that thing is a ridiculous free range red stag. Like they, they don't look like that. <laughs> that one did. <laughs> yeah, that one was. So I was uh, pretty fortunate with that one. The outfitter that is well, my New Zealand dad he um he got access to a private property. It's twenty thousand acres and it hasn't been hunted in years, so he got access to take clients there and. So he took me there and I was the very first person to ever shoot a stag off there out of his clients. So that was, that was an incredible experience. That hunt itself, I've never had my heart beat so fast. What like was the, the difference adrenaline there? Was, I mean, that thing is I ridiculous. I have no idea. 
because I've I I've hunted here lots and I love hunting here but that in particular hunt just everything that happened it was it was just an awesome stock it was a long stock and there was tons of obstacles and and getting set up and Heinz spooked and we had set up and had like a second to get set up and shoot the stag and shot him and hit him good and uh he went a little ways and then popped back up and shot him again and then he dropped and that was the end of him first one was a lung shot and the second one was uh between between the shoulders because he was heading up through some brush I mean, that thing is just all, I'm looking at it right now. It's just all palmated <laughs> on the one side. Ridiculous. I mean, it is just crazy. <laughs> that was a fun hunt. <laughs> I mean, it is just, it's insane. Look at that, that thing. That is nuts. <laughs> I mean, I saw it, but I didn't examine it, you know, and I'm looking at it now and going, <laughs> wow. I mean, it's almost, he's only what, 20? 24 inches across on his spread, but the yeah, something just like that tall we, and just palmated nastiness yeah. everywhere. Oh, just crappy. We, <laughs> we brought him to a, a deer farmer who he raises, um, he raises red stags for estates and stuff. And we brought him there and he looked at him and he figured he was over 16 years old because his, his ivories, they were gone and completely healed over. And he says that happens at 16. So he said he could be anywhere between 16 years old and 20 years old. Wow. Holy crap. So he's a good old boy. Yeah. Just a beautiful animal too. Yeah, he is. Very fortunate to get him. So how many times you've been in New Zealand? Is it like a once a year thing or is that something you're doing? Cause I, th- I mean, if this is all this year, that's just crazy. <laughs> Not all this year. This, no? this was my fourth year. Um, but this is my second year in a row I had in the last five years. I've gone four times. And then so I plan to go back every single year. Bucket listing every year. Isn't that something? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> the guide's life. That's awesome. I mean, there's yeah, just... and I'm, I got to avoid my winter over here somehow. It gets too cold <laughs> up here. It's minus 40. Oh, yeah, that is a bit cold. <laughs> I'm in Southern California. I don't, I, I don't even know if I can handle it. <laughs> but just some beautiful country up there. I mean, just, you know, going through this page. just Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. It's a lot like Southern BC. I love it there. Beautiful country, big mountains. Their mountains are a lot steeper in a lot of places. Just younger mountains and terrain can be pretty nasty over there. <laughs> So how is that, how is it with, with sharing that entire experience? I mean, your whole family's out, right? Guiding and, and mm-hmm. part of the, uh, part of the outfitting business. How is that, that has to create a pretty, a pretty special bond, right? To be in the yeah. family business and doing something that takes so much effort, but is so rewarding and everyone sharing that experience that, that just seems next level. Yeah, it's it's great being able to follow in my dad's footsteps and hear all his stories and from all the older guides that well I grew up with, they're like family too, and being able to share my stories and hear their stories and get advice from them. And then my little sister being into guiding as well, and we got to work alongside each other and learn from each other, and it it's great. And then just cousins and uncles and the whole family. <laughs> 
a makes for a pretty interesting life. How old's your sister? She is she just turned twenty one. So there's two there's two of them you gotta get off the plane. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm being funny about it, but that's, I mean, that's pretty spectacular. I mean, that has yeah, to. Yeah, she's pretty hardcore. <laughs> that has to uh, be something else for your, for your father too, right? To, to have his girls out there. And, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He just absolutely loves it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just scrolling here in, and I'm awestruck. I mean, the moose are just. Your 2014 moose is a monster in velvet. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, <laughs> that was a meat hunt. And we had, I'd taken, I, he was 65 years old, taking him to a camp. And dad just said, well, see, shoot the first moose you guys see and try and make it a shorter hunt. Didn't want to have to have him hiking too much or out too long kind of thing. He's, and uh, anyway, so of course the first moose we see is a 50 inch bull <laughs> <laughs> and he dies in like the worst deadfall and steep hill. And I got to pack him on horses. I was 18 years old and trying to lift these moose quarters up onto the sides of the horses. And oh, it was a struggle. <laughs> we got him back to camp though. <laughs> so when you're, when you're guiding, it's just, it's just you and a client. Yep. For the most part. So you're, yeah, yeah you're I'm absolutely having to get it all done. Then you're. Yeah. Yeah. The odd time I'll go out with other guides or other guides would come with me or I'll bring a wrangler out for an extra hand or if they've been doing good in camp, then bring them out kind of thing. But it's typically just one-on-one. That was pretty awesome. And I posted, I posted, well, it's because it's Monday, right? The Muley Monday or yeah. 2009 buck. I was scrolling through there and it was like, oh, oh my gosh, goodness. <laughs> I was 14 years old and target practicing against a bank and he ran out from underneath of us, me and dad. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And then it was just about 300 yards and dropped him. So that was pretty special. <laughs> First mule deer. Yeah. And I mean, this thing is huge. <laughs> Isn't it, he? His rack. I mean, he's, he's dwarfing you. You look tiny. <laughs> sitting in between. I probably was tiny at 14 years yeah. old. <laughs> well, yeah, but this thing, I mean, this thing is huge. Yeah, he ended up scoring 191. Wow. So he's just shy of two bills. Yeah. Hear that, boys? <laughs> <laughs> getting, we're getting killed here. <laughs> so I, I think I started asking, and I don't know that I cut you off or I didn't let you ask. We got on to something else, but how do you, so how's that balancing act between, between the hunting and guiding? If we didn't touch it, I'm not sure if we did it's, really. It's, it's tough. Our seasons are quite full in BC. Like we're up there from end of June until end of October typically. And, um, the odd time, like if I finish a hunt early, dad's always been good and let me go out hunting for myself. And I've gotten a stone sheep between hunts before for myself. So that was, that was amazing. And then other than that, I, I don't get to hunt until we get out of the mountains and it's deer season. So we get to do some deer hunting, but around the ranch, we're just, we're, <laughs> we're feeding and protecting the deer. <laughs> we just go look at them. <laughs> we're trying to grow 200 inches. <laughs> and then all winter long, we're uh, doing as much cat hunting as we can. And so there's that, but. So are you, 
you just are you just culling the hat uh, culling the cats or is that something that you're are you eating them i have a yeah, curiosity we're eating them. yeah um, you enjoy it yeah well i got a i got a trap line that runs up the river right beside our ranch and so every day that i go check my traps or set new stuff i'm always checking for cat tracks and then if i find a fresh cat track then we got a bunch of friends with dogs and we just tell them to come out and run their dogs and um if it's a small cat or or whatever else then we just tell a friend to that has a cat tag to come over if they want a cat and they come and shoot a cat and we keep the meat and all's good <laughs> meat is really really good actually that's what i keep hearing everybody that i've talked to <laughs> that that has eaten it it's just said it's amazing right and that and when you first hear it it's kind of odd you're like what no no eating a predator yeah well i just I, for me i never really had an interest in it outside of just wanting to hunt one, but I was going, oh, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't eat it not knowing. Right. Yeah. Um, but more and more, man, everybody are just, you know, everybody's saying, Oh, it's just great. It's great. It's great. So now I'm on this thing where I got to get on a cat hunt. Oh, definitely. I find it's quite similar to grouse. You usually hear like, it's like the best pork is what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. No, we really enjoy it. And we take meat off of friends who get cats in other areas that don't want to keep their meat. <laughs> oh, Great wow. cougar all winter. <laughs> so that's, it's that good then. Yeah, that's we love it. It's one of our favorites. See, now you got me, got me amped up on that even more. <laughs> so uh, this is a Kong Valley collective episode. So why don't you give us a little bit about KVC there and, and your part with KVC being a legend and, how that came to be um, and what their mission and everything means to you. Well, the way it came to be is um, Jimmy, he's the chief of staff, his, uh, his aunt and uncle, they worked for us at big nine for years and years. They're, they're just wonderful people. I just absolutely love them. And uh, so anyways, Jimmy had asked me if I wanted to be a part of it and kind of told me a bit about, about it. And I agreed and it's, it's just exploding. It's it's crazy, right? Uh, isn't it? Um, their message they're sending and everything they stand for. It's exactly what we stand for. It's like, couldn't have said it better myself. The way them guys uh, explain everything, everything they put up and just actually enjoy the experience instead of just to be there to show off your trophy. They're telling their stories. They're getting people involved in the, the work put into it, the ups and the downs and be able to look back on it and enjoy the entire experience. And the, the ups, the ups are great, but to me, the downs are even better. <laughs> they make the stories good. <laughs> right? They're, I mean, they're even better. The downs are, are what makes you the hunter that you become, right? It, it serves the evolution yeah. of your hunting experience way more than the ups, way more. Yeah. And because, yeah, and just looking back at the downs and being able to laugh about them now, even when I get into a shitty situation, I'll stop and think about it for a second and just start laughing. I'm like, wow, this sucks. <laughs> but it's all worth it. Everything all works out and makes for good stories. And, and more appreciation to the entire experience, right? When you can, I mean, yes, exactly. and we've all been there, right? When you're sometimes when you're going through it, 
you're it's like the worst situation you've ever been in. Then you get through it. <laughs> yes. And then the next time you're going through the shitty situation, that's the worst one. You're, you know what I mean? It's always the worst one right then and there. <laughs> yeah. And then you get back to camp that night and you'll be kind of, you'll be kind of grumpy from the situation or what had happened. And you get back to camp and you sit down for a second and then you just start laughing yeah. about it with everyone that was involved and telling stories to the rest of the crew that are there. And even after the season, telling your friends about it and other guides and they under completely understand and they have a good laugh with you about it. And <laughs> so what's a, what's a common guide shitty experience? What, what gets you guys <laughs> fired up? Uh, uh, losing horses. <laughs> oh, no way. Uh, I, I, I'm terrible for tying up my horses. When like, if we hear an elk bugle, I'll tie off my horses and I'll just like head out. <laughs> and then once we're done messing around with the bull, if it ends up being a bull we don't want or too young of a bull or whatever, turn around and be like, okay, now where did we come from? <laughs> <laughs> That's a common one for me. <laughs> and then me and my hunter will be doing circles in the trees <laughs> looking, looking for, for horses. horses. <laughs> so do they do they pull yeah. off of their tie up? Um. You get the odd one that knows how to untie itself. I've had to walk home before, which was a five-hour walk because he untied himself and left. And he just headed <laughs> home like, uh, see you later, Shane. Yeah, he just went home. <laughs> yeah, and he just showed up in camp and stood there and waited to be unsaddled. <laughs> oh, wow. That's the thing with horses, though. They they have they, they are, they have so much personality and a mind of their own. Like, Oh, gosh, too much personality sometimes. <laughs> But it's never a dull moment. <laughs> well, and in some of them, I mean, you have, they, they have a little bit of a temper. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, all right, buddy, it's your rules. Yeah. Especially some of the mares, they'll get sassy. <laughs> yeah. Five hours that has, yeah. Do you laugh on the walk? Um, when I first see that he's untied himself, I freak out a bit and then I laugh and then I walk and then I get tired and then I get back to camp. <laughs> and then I laugh again. <laughs> Makes for a long day, but <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Teaches me to tie better knots. <laughs> That's something I've never heard them untying themselves. Oh God, they're good at it. They just sit there and chew on it all day because they're bored. And then finally, they just untie themselves, and then they learn that trick. So then it's just how do you how do you deal with that once they learn it? Um, you start tying bowlins. And now I just tie a bowl on for every horse. <laughs> Not taking chances anymore. You ever had that happen with a client? Where it's yep, a but we were five, close to base camp, oh, so okay. it was all right. Five hours he tied ago. his own horse up. <laughs> <laughs> so you're walking, he's so, riding? Oh, I offered him my horse. He wouldn't take it. So I walked too. <laughs> Anyways, I just led my horse <laughs> to be kind. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool though, right? He's, you know, he's like, hey, I blew it. I'm going to hoof it. My bad. <laughs> yeah, we get we get good good guys up there. So you want to be a guide, right? I mean, you, you know, like I said earlier, it looks like like this dream, like this perfect life, but it is some hard ass work, right? There's no it is yeah. stretch of the you know you, you can't even it's some hard ass work. Um, how do either break you or make you right? <laughs> So how do you, if, if somebody's looking at, you know, wanting to get into that, what, uh, what do you tell them? Um, just get in contact with an outfitter or a couple, like call them, 
personal phone calls are always the best. And like with horseback outfits, it's, you start out as a wrangler and if guides like you, then they start taking you out during the day. And before too long, you're doing a couple hunts here and there. And then the next season you could be a full-time guide. And other than that, it's just, it's talking, talking to outfitters and hoping they like you <laughs> having good experience and hoping you have guys up there that'll teach you, teach you the ropes and everyone's usually really, really good for that. What's a level of, of preparation or preparedness that they should have when they're going into something like that or looking at that? Um, just got to be prepared to work hard, long days, have a good attitude, have some of the right gear, most of the right gear. Otherwise you're going to have a very uncomfortable season. And after one season, you kind of learn what you need, but <laughs> yeah, that we have a tendency as DIY guys, right? Mm -hmm. Do it yourself um, <laughs> to overpack <laughs> and underprepare. Um, it would it would seem to me that a guide is the exact opposite of that, right? You have the necessities. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Luckily with all the hunts we get to do a year, we kind of keep on top of what we need and what we can live without. And there's a lot of things you can live without. You can usually just pack the bare minimum and still be comfortable and happy with what you got. And at least we got everything for our comforts back at base camp. Anyways, you only spend uh, 10 days out at a time kind of thing, but usually got all the right gear and talking amongst the other guides and all the prep you do together. And it's a couple of months beforehand, you're thinking of everything you might need and that you do need and constant shopping trips. <laughs> Which, yeah, well, for me, that, uh, that seems like it's never ending with this obsession. No. I mean, it's just nonstop, <laughs> right? I mean, you're, you're constantly, constantly trying to improve, either the gear or the experience, uh, this yeah. work, that work, you know, it's, uh, it's yeah. rough. <laughs> yeah. It's rough. Right. You, you go and it's, I guess it's the same for a guide, right. As you go and you're like, Hey, I, I really like this pack. And you spend a few hundred mm -hmm. bucks on the pack and use the pack for a season and you're going, ah, eh, not the greatest pack. Um, or for whatever reason, right. It didn't serve you boots. Boots have to be yeah. crazy for you. Yeah, that's a bit of a tough one because if you end up with crappy boots and you just kind of pick a brand you like and then if they work for you once and you just keep buying them. <laughs> so what do you, what are you running boot wise? <laughs> uh, I'm running Schnee's now. I was running Loa for a couple of years, but well, I did decide to switch it up. They weren't last and they'd last half a season and then they were, they were done. I really, really liked them, but I probably could have taken better care of them. So anyways, I'm trying Schnee's. They're more insulated. See how they go. So far, I really like to use them for the season in New Zealand and haven't had a problem with them yet. Seem pretty tough. Yeah, because there's a lot of, I mean, you get on social media, right? And everybody has their preference and there's a lot of, yeah. a lot of hype. Um, but I guess yep. if you're going to look to a source, look to the folks that are doing it for a living and you know, yeah. out there. How many boot miles you getting in a season? That has to be insane. Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> Hundreds. Uh, enough to see my ribs two months in. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, Schneeze. Yeah, I'm looking for a 
for a new pair of boots for this season. So that was part of part of that question. Might as well get some some expertise. Well, it's all just what fits you. Some boots fit differently than others and whatever's comfortable to your foot. Yeah, that uh, that's rough, too, because I mean, I've ran several pair of boots, some last, Mm -hmm. some just yeah, some just fall apart. Some uh, yeah. claim to be something they're not. I have a pair that I just got at the end of last season. I ran them on a hunt recently, and it was just, it was a wet day. In comes a helicopter. Um, that's pretty well as prepared as you can get is just being able to have access to help. In your opinion, I mean, if guys are going out, right, and they're, you know, trekking into the woods... And for whatever reason, and I've talked to a few people and they're like, yeah, that's not something I really carry with me, right? Guys are trying to go lighten their packs. And to me, it's mm-hmm. crazy um, to not have it's, any type of first aid. I mean, that that's insane. Yeah. So is that something that you tell a guy like, for me, it's the first, it is absolutely the first thing I go through before season, right? As I open that kit and I make sure that everything is still there um, in good condition. And it's the first thing that goes in the pack for season. So is that something yeah, you'd well, recommend for, you know, the DIY guys out there is get the first aid oh, kits going? Definitely. You can even get some of them light little ones and they don't weigh nothing. And that could be, oh, that could save your life or save someone else's life and or stitch you up so that you can actually get out or make the difference. Yeah, it's crazy to me that guys aren't, I don't know, aren't focused on it or... Don't think about it. I'm not sure. I had one. I just don't think it'll happen to them. Yeah. Well, I had one guest say, well, I think, you know, the, the macho thing, right? Oh, I don't need a first aid kit. Well, you know, some freak accident. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Better safe than sorry. Um. So what do you have planned for uh, for 2019 outside of your guiding? Outside of guiding. Outside of guiding as far as hunting goes and, and what you're trying to notch Hmm. well i've been trying to hunt cougar for myself for the last three years and every time we get onto a cat it's either too small or something else or someone else wants it or i'm away and so i'm hoping to get a big tom this year for sure and then i'm hoping to i'm gonna put in for a mountain goat for central bc and hopefully go after a mountain goat this winter nice what's a big tom um, uh, 15 inch skull, <laughs> 180 pounds, hopefully. <laughs> now that's a big cat. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to touch on on every episode, um, is conservation and it's just, it's not the, well, if that's your idea of it, but outside of the dictionary definition right your take on conservation and the importance of just to get somebody else's thought and to maybe spark something that you know someone hasn't heard before and different insight so what's your take on on conservation and what what role should we be taking in that well we should be protecting the wildlife and doing what we can for them if we want to be able to continue hunting them and having our kids hunt them and for generations to come uh, like we always do our part. We feed the deer in the winter when it gets cold, hoping that they don't starve and can actually get to feed and 
we, we just do what we can. So are you, are you guys, you guys don't plant or are you putting food plots or anything like that out or? Yeah, we do a 50 acre deer plot and then dad, he'll put thousands and thousands of dollars worth of grain out for the deer. We just go take out by the garbage can full every single day for them and put bales out for them. And we're feeding, oh, probably 300 head of deer. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's all on the, on the property there? Is that something you're doing out in yeah. the territory? Yeah. Yeah, there's starting to be a shortage of deer around our region. So we try to do what we can, save, save what we can around here. So you were saying that you guys are, you're not going to be um, in the same area. Where are you going next year with the guiding? Well, um, yeah, so since my dad sold, he'll be, he'll just be a farmer from here on out for a bit. And I'm going to go head up to the Northwest Territories and guide for Glenda Grode at Canal Outfitters. She's way up north, 100, 100 miles south from the Arctic Circle. Oh, wow. And you'll be guiding. Yeah. What are you guiding up there? Uh, doll sheep, caribou, and uh, Yukon, Alaska moose. Yeah, I was looking at the, I told you the caribou thing and uh, looking at that barren plain caribou up there. And oof, that just, yeah, there's something about that. Everybody says it's crazy to, you know, talk archery with that, but that just seems like next level. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting hunting caribou since I've never had the opportunity to yet. So anything you want to touch on in closing, Kong Valley, um, where folks can get a hold of you, anything like that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Instagram? <laughs> Shay Tompkins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if they're interested in talking, guiding, and where you're going to be, they can uh, get you through Instagram, DM you there. Yeah, you betcha. Well, I appreciate the time. Um, good luck out yeah, there in the, the new area. On. No, it was cool. Thank you. Interested to see what uh, keeps landing on this Instagram feed and uh, making me feel... Uh, <laughs> lesser of a man there <laughs> i'll keep posting <laughs> yeah it's uh it's something else but yeah it's uh it's great to see see you guys getting after it there i know when Thank i you. talked to uh john and jimmy they were they were super excited about you getting on and i started looking and i was like <laughs> holy crap i'm impressed by this it's amazing so it was good Gosh, stuff. i should have john or jimmy telling my story for me <laughs> i you know they they probably could. We were, I was talking to John and we were looking at the, I was looking at the page and he's like, I told you, I told you, I told you. <laughs> and I'm like, good God, man. I told, I talked to him about 20 minutes before we got on. He called me and I was like, I don't know, man, I'm a little worried about getting on. She's laying too much stuff down here. This is crazy. Just amazing. Well, I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate your time. I will let you get back to, uh, life there i know you have long days on the farm right now so <laughs> we well will, thank uh, you for everything yeah thank you very much and we'll talk to you yeah it was fun talking to you you can catch up with Shay on Instagram at Shay underscore Tompkins. To learn more about Kong Valley Collective, head over to westerncontours.com. Click the link on the partners page. Thank you for listening. 
Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.